Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to today's episode of Myeloma Crowd Radio, a show that connects patients with myeloma researchers. I'm your host, Jenny Alstrom, and we'd like to thank today's episode sponsor, Celgene Corporation, for their support of Myeloma Crowd Radio. Now, before we get started with today's very important show, I'd like to share a short update on HealthTree, an online tool we created for multiple myeloma patients. Currently, over 4,000 patients have now registered for HealthTree, and patients are using it to track their disease in a single place, find treatment options they could consider at every stage of disease, and find clinical trials that they can join. With a new update we made last week, your clinical trial list got even more specific for your individual situation. We're now passing your latest lab values, like your kappa or lambda light chain numbers, platelets, and other numbers that are used in qualifying, qualifying you for a clinical trial to spark cures, which is embedded inside of HealthTree. Your clinical trial list will show only those studies you qualify for are based on the study's eligibility criteria. And now we're also customizing your list based on genetic features. So now for most of the clinical trials, genetics of your disease doesn't really matter that much, but there are clinical trials coming soon that are specific to a gene feature, like a translocation of a 414 or even a what they call point mutation like NRAS or KRAS. And we want you to be aware of these studies when they open. So now your list is even more personalized than before. Now on to today's show. Uh, CAR-T therapy is expanding in clinical trials, as many of us know. And most CAR-T therapies are customized and created for each individual patient, with the most common target being VCMA. Today's show is a great departure from that norm. It's going after a new target and is an off-the-shelf approach, so it doesn't need a waiting period to be manufactured. So here to share this idea with us, um, about a, this product from a company called Selectus is Dr. David Siegel, Chief of the Myeloma Program at the John Thurer Cancer Center at Hackensack University. Welcome, Dr. Siegel. Thanks for so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, let me introduce you just before we get started. Um, David Siegel is a Chief of the, myeloma, of the Division of Multiple Myeloma at the John Thurer Cancer Center in Hackensack, New York. New Jersey, sorry, and has made the facility one of the premier academic centers in the country. Um, Dr. Siegel has practiced previously at Memorial Sloan Kettering, UAMS, and Atlantic Health Systems. He's also the clinical professor of medicine at the New York University Medical Center and professor of medicine at MedStar Georgetown University Medical Center. Dr. Siegel is the founding director of the Institute for Multiple Myeloma at the Hackensack Meridian Health Center for Discovery and Innovation which is a new center that he helped create. Dr. Siegel's research has almost exclusively focused on multiple myeloma and has been published in many leading medical journals, including Nature, New England Journal of Medicine, Blood, and the Journal of Clinical Oncology. 
Dr. Siegel served as the lead investigator on a pivotal multi-center study that helped obtain FDA fast-track approval for carfilzomib. He's also one of 11 investigators nationwide who brought Velcade to multiple myeloma patients through his clinical trials. And as you'll hear today, he is continues to be on the leading edge, bringing even more new therapies to the myeloma clinic like this one. Um, so thank you again, Dr. Siegel. We're, we're really excited to hear about this today. Um, but maybe we want to start with just kind of a brief uh, overview of the immunotherapy landscape just in general. Um, uh, I'm glad to, to speak to everybody, and I'm glad to, to speak about immunotherapy. I mean, immunotherapy is a broad term, and I think, unfortunately, it has become you know, almost an advertising catchphrase in some ways. A lot of what we do in oncology, but more specifically in in myeloma care, can be considered uh, immunotherapy. The the you know the most widely used drug in multiple myeloma, lenalidomide, Revlimid, uh, is an immunomodulatory drug. That's what we call that class of drugs. And while these drugs directly um, uh, impact on the myeloma cell itself, much of why they uh, are effective is because of their ability to to change the way the immune system works. Uh, stem cell transplants, both uh, autologous from from the patient themselves and from donors, are the classic uh, immunotherapy. The reason that uh, patients can do extremely well for long periods of time after a transplant is because the transplant gives the immune system an opportunity to reset itself. And when we use transplants from donors, really what we're doing is bringing in that donor's immune system and saying, you know, please take over where the where the patient's immune system failed and, and see the cancer and try and kill it. And then probably the most uh, talked about uh, uh, thing over the past uh uh, perhaps even decade in in oncology have been the drugs that we call checkpoint inhibitors. You, you you see them advertised on television now. That's how important they've become. And, and checkpoint inhibitors and immune activators, which are which are a new class of of molecules that are uh, coming along, affect the way our immune system turns itself off and turns itself on. These are very nonspecific kind of drugs. But sort of I think what most people really uh, are starting to hear about are monoclonal antibodies. And uh, we have been fortunate to have two monoclonal antibodies approved in multiple myeloma, um, uh, Darzalex, uh, uh, daratumumab and uh, and ilatuzumab uh, uh, implicity are monoclonal antibodies. Somebody uh, took a, a myeloma cell, injected it into the mouse, let the mouse make antibodies against the cancer cell, and then those antibodies were engineered to look more like human antibodies, and and that's sort of one of the classical immunotherapies. But I think um, what what most people are are sort of talking about in the myeloma world over the last. Uh, months and, and perhaps years are the CAR T cells, and that's uh, not just specific to myeloma, but to lymphomas and leukemias, and, and now even starting to, to be used in solid tumors. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, the first word I remember hearing about it was in leukemia, but um, now you hear about it all the time. So that's so so exciting, yeah. and it's moving forward. Yeah, no, so this is, this is exciting. Yeah, no, no, it is. It's amazing. And the work that you're doing to bring it forward is um, so appreciated by patients. Um, first, maybe you want to give us an overview of the, the idea behind CAR T-cell therapy, because while a lot of patients have heard about CAR T-therapy um, and cellular therapies in general, maybe they're not as familiar with it as um, others might be. Well, we, we all have cells in our bodies um, uh, that are capable of killing cancer cells, virally infected cells, um, uh, sometimes even bacterial infected cells. And these are a class of uh, cells that we call T cells. And uh, they are very specific. If you, if you maybe to use an example that's in the in the news these days if if you have a a, a cell that's in, infected by measles um the the reason that your immune system ultimately can can win that battle is that it makes t cells that can see uh the the measles virus being expressed on the surface of the infected cells and it will sit on that cell and punch holes in it and kill the cell um uh we have cells that can do that uh uh for myeloma the problem is that these cells uh, are very often tricked by the cancer into being quiet. Um, you know, part of why we we have smoldering myeloma and perhaps even why we have MGUSs is because of exactly those kinds of cells. But eventually, they get tired and they give up. Um, so one of the the, the you know sort of uh, goals in oncology over over generations now has been to to be able to take those cells, grow them up, teach them to be angry again, and put them back in in the patient. But unfortunately, these kinds of efforts have not been particularly fruitful. Um, so uh, the problem is that when you take this cell out and you manipulate it and you try to get it to grow, it it sort of loses its interest in in homing to a cancer. Uh, so what could we do to, to, to overcome that? Well, we can take large numbers of these kinds of cells out of the patient, but when we, when we take large numbers of them out, they're against any target that, the, that you might have, the, the mumps, the measles, whatever. Some of them might be against the mm -hmm. cancer, but, uh, but they don't grow and they don't get uh, angry. So what could we do to manipulate them? Well, we can actually take the, the the receptor that these cells have that makes them them angry, and and uh, t take a, a gene that represents them and cut it into to parts that uh, that uh, that are normally. Uh, involved in a number of processes. One is recognizing the target, and a couple of the other ones are involved in activating the cells and making them angry. So 
it was first uh, devised by a scientist um, uh, named Zelig Escher uh, a number of years ago, but more recently sort of rejuvenated as a, a potential cancer therapy uh, by a, a gentleman named Carl June. Um, and the, 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 these, these genes could be put together with, with uh, a monoclonal antibody, what I was talking to you about before, you know, that had been grown mm -hmm. up in a mouse. And you can put these all in one little structure. You can introduce them into all of these nonspecific cells. And when this is expressed on the surface of the cell, it will now recognize whatever target you've chosen. The, the commercially available ones are against a target called CD19, which is important in lymphomas and leukemias. But in myeloma, there's been a number of targets that have been identified. The most important and well-known so far is a target called BC, BCMA. And this is a target that is not unique to myeloma cells, but unique to plasma cells, the, the cell that becomes the cancer cell in myeloma. So you can make a construct that on one end recognizes BCMA and on the other end is able to transmit the signals into uh, a T cell to make it angry enough that it will kill uh, a BCMA expressing cell. And most myeloma cells express BCMA. So you can put this construct into the cell, um, put it into the, the cancer patient, and it will right now recognize the cancer, grow, get angry, and kill the, the cancer cell. Mm -hmm. so that's my, my short version targeted, of this. No, yeah, that's great. Um, these BCMA-targeted CAR T cells have been... Um, in clinical trials for about like two to three years, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, and and, how, and they. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, and uh, and they have been successful at uh, at some level. I mean, patients whose disease had become refractory to basically all other therapies um, can be instructed uh, to uh, to be killed by by this kind of construct. Mm-hmm. And in those clinical trials, it's really personalized for each patient, right? Yeah. So the the problem amongst many is is that uh, uh, you you need to have a patient who has enough lymphocytes uh, being produced, and in in sick patients who've gotten a lot of chemotherapy, that is a potential problem. These cells have to be. Uh, collected from the patient in adequate numbers. They then need to, to have this genetic material that codes for the receptor put into the cell. Those cells have to be grown up. And, and this process um, can be done relatively quickly, but because of the, the, the need to collect and then to grow and then to make sure that these cells aren't contaminated by bacteria or anything like that, it can take about a month uh, to grow up enough of these cells to give back to a patient. And, and while most of the time uh, this can be done successfully, occasionally it doesn't, and, and that certainly limits the 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 uh, ability to 
to apply it because the patient has to be able to sit there for for a month and and wait and sometimes that's not uh feasible and uh, beyond that the fact that it has to be done like this for every single patient makes it extremely expensive uh to 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 build this personalized uh product so it does have limitations mhm right and I saw that some data just came out recently on one of the first studies, kind of the oldest study, I guess, on the cell gene CAR-T. And it looks like it is having some impact. And then some patients, um, I think it showed like a median regression-free survival of about 11, 12 months, something around that. Yeah. Yeah, so the the publication in New England Journal of Medicine from just this week, uh, we were fortunate enough to participate in those studies, and um, it has to be understood that that medians don't always tell the story, and um, uh, you know if if uh, if. Uh, we have some patients who are cured that uh, that will be different. The problem is we really don't know right. whether that's the case yet. And um, the, uh, the the patients who were going on this trial or these trials um, have been very, very heavily pretreated patients. And if we compare the expectations um, from a more conventional drug in that uh, setting, uh, having median progression-free survivals uh, approximately a year is is actually a very exciting number, um, but we don't know whether any of that translates into patients having their de- disease controlled, you know, five years later or ten years later. Mm-hmm. I think earlier use too will be so exciting to see with some of these clinical trials. So I think the whole field is just so so fascinating. Well, let's talk yeah. about this one. So this tool, this product is called UCART CS1. So maybe you want to explain what that is and um, how it was developed. Well, the the, the limitations uh, of having to manufacture for an individual patient we just talked about, um, and there are potential mm-hmm. limitations with BCMA as a target as well. Um, it is essential for the biology of the cell, and, and there's some questions as to whether the target can be lost and and things like that. So so we have two issues. One is the amount of time, the amount of money that it takes to to produce the product and and number two whether the target is the is the perfect target. So this trial attempts to address two of these things. One uh is that we're we're manufacturing a large amount of a product that will sit on the shelf, and when a patient comes in who needs it, the the, the product is there and can be administered relatively quickly. Uh, no need for manufacturing for the individual patient. The the second mm-hmm. is that this this is specific to a different target, to a target called CS1. It also uh, is sometimes called SLAM F7. I know that all of these uh, – this nomenclature can be a little bit crazy, but um, uh, any of you who have heard of the monoclonal antibody elotuzumab or implicity, this is the target that uh, that antibody is directed against. So what has been done is 
uh, an antibody very similar to to the ilituzumab antibody. The gene for that antibody wa was taken, and it was made into the construct that that we've talked about uh, a few moments ago. And it is being put into the cell. Now it is being put into the cell using a slightly different kind of approach. Uh, the the uh, clinical trials that have been ongoing mostly use a virus to introduce the the construct into the cell. This is using a a much different kind of technology, and it's been putting being put into the cell in a very specific spot. The the Talon technology that they they speak about in connection with this is a sort of uh, artificial construct that allows a piece of uh, of the DNA in the cell to be targeted and 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 material can be inserted very specifically into that site so it allows it to be done um, in a much more controlled fashion than the virus that sort of does this non-specifically so not not only uh, is the is the construct being put in a specific site, but the um, that same kind of technology can be used to manipulate the cell. So since this is a cell that is not from the patient, the patient's immune system is very likely going to, to respond to it. Well, what do uh, do immune systems respond to? They respond to uh, you, you 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 hear the term self and non-self, but but the mm -hmm. the way that our immune system recognizes self from non-self is is by a, a series of very uh, specific molecules, uh, histocompatibility molecules, um, that are part of the biology of all cells. So this Talon technology has been. Uh, has been utilized to knock down the expression of, of these kinds of molecules so that most of what uh, our immune system responds to saying this is not part of me is, is being eliminated mm -hmm. using that technology. Um, in addition, the target, CS1, is, is also uh, expressed on many cells, um, including the, the CAR T cells, the cells that are normally made into CAR T cells. Um, and so that same mm -hmm. talent technology is being used to eliminate the expression of the target. So we, we don't want to put the CAR T cells in and to have them killing each other. So, uh, so we're, we're stripping that target as well as the self, non-self target from the surface of the cell so that these cells can persist in the patient and do their job. And uh, mm -hmm. this is a, a very exciting step forward that the, the idea of having a much less expensive, much more readily available system that can be given to patients relatively quickly uh, is potentially transformative. It's uh, it's going to make it uh, much more available to many more patients much more easily and much less expensively. Right, and then you don't have to wait for the manufacturing like you were talking about earlier. Well, I love this. Yeah. It's so sophisticated that they're able to kind of remove this potential self-destruction and they're able to um, produce it and manufacture it. And I know a lot of different uh, approaches are being looked at in terms of manufacturing, not just the viral methods. So this sounds really interesting. 
Um, yeah, I one think thing that, that I know you. No, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, you go ahead. Well, I lost my train of thought, so you're gonna you're gonna have to continue. <laughs> All right. No, that that uh, that uh, you know this is this kind of technology is going to change the way we deal with many things that uh, um, uh, you know cancers. Uh, in, in this kind of fashion, but you know, diseases like sickle cell or or thalassemia or Tay Sachs or things like that, where there are very specific mutations, this kind of ability to edit the the DNA is is going to allow us to address all kinds of illnesses in in ways that we just couldn't imagine even just a few years ago. Mhm, that's so amazing. Now, in the BCMA CAR-T trials, I know in a lot of them, they give a little bit of chemotherapy prior to the BCMA CAR-T because they're trying to do what they call lymphodepletion. And when I was reading about this Talon or this gene editing technology for this new CAR-T, it sounded like it had some kind of lymphodepletion um, embedded into it already. Can you, or, or well, I think- is that how it works? Or no, I, I think that that's not the the most important part of this. We don't understand yet how important lymphodepletion is. Um, when when we give this kind of chemotherapy before the CAR T cells, it's it's being done for a very complicated reason. Um, partly because mm-hmm. we don't want the immune system to be that competent, so it won't reject the cells. But but also because when we when we kill lymphocytes, the body responds by by putting out a signal. You know, lymphocytes, please grow back. Mm, and, got it. Uh, and 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 that signal for lymphocytes, please go grow back, is is at some level responsible for stimulating these cells that are being put in to to grow. And so the mm. lymphodepletion. Is 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 very complicated. We don't know how important it is uh, yet in 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 treating these patients. So wh- whether whether we're going to have a platform that really avoids that is is not in, entirely clear at this point. Um, and the the ways in which we lymphodeplete may be different as well. Uh, so one of the institutions that has pioneered this kind of work. Uh, particularly in in myeloma, has been the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, and uh, and they have used a number of situations in which to apply this kind of uh, of therapy, including doing a, a stem cell transplant, an autologous stem cell transplant like we have been doing for years mm-hmm. in patients, and in the aftermath of that, the immune system gets pretty disrupted and and the 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 signals for the immune system to expand rapidly um uh, are are uh, are quite prominent at that point and uh 
so the the how much of that we need and how much of it we don't need um we, we're still not sure so i don't know that there should be a big emphasis on you know whether there's lymphoma depletion done or not done uh, and it can be done in many mm-hmm. many different ways um that uh, uh we we have to see um wh- where that leads us and i don't know that that's the the most important part of this at this point Mhm. Yeah, that's well, that's a great point. So thank you. Um when just as a reference, overall reference, sometimes people will hear about autocartes and allocartes and we use that all the time uh when we hear about stem cell transplant, but do you just want to define it for this CAR T you know, experience, so this, I guess, so- <laughs> for patients? Yes. So this is an allogeneic product, meaning it's from somebody else, from a donor, um, as opposed to when we make the product for each individual patient where we're using their own T cells. uh, That's an autologous product. Uh, And this allogeneic product is it's the fact that it's allogeneic that allows us to have it sitting there on the shelf rather than uh, needing to be manufactured. And there's another sort of subtle advantage to this in that we're not mm-hmm. trying to collect the cell from from a patient the and and that means that uh, the 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 donor is healthier their their cells haven't been uh stressed as much as the cells in a patient who's been getting a lot of steroids and a lot of chemotherapy in the in the years perhaps b- before they received the CAR T cells so it may be that the 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 actual product is healthier and more uh viable in terms of its ability to grow and be sustained um because it's not coming from from a patient whose whose uh, cells have been so compromised. Oh, that's a very interesting point. Um, do you mind expanding a little bit more about the CS1 target? You talked earlier about how it's the same target that elotuzumab is going after. And I know when they're thinking about CAR Ts, you're trying to think about, and you said it's on CAR T cells, but it's also on myeloma cells. Um, doing the, this off target is always a concern. Is there a concern yeah. on this, or is this similar to BCMA, where, you know, just maybe give us some insight there? Well, I mean, what what is been so attractive about BCMA as a target is it's so tightly uh, restricted to mature plasma cells, the kind of cell that is the cancer cell in myeloma. So there's very, very few other cell populations that have it as a target. So th- that makes B- BCMA sound like a perfect target. Um, but mm-hmm. it, it, it's... And so there's little off-target um, uh, specificity in BCMA-specific uh, CAR T cells. Now that that doesn't make it perfect in that the cells may may just lose it; they don't need it. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the, the CS1 is clearly uh, more widely displayed. Uh, one of the places that it is most prominent is on a, a class of cells called uh, natural killer cells. And natural killer mm-hmm. cells are a very important part of our immune system. So there is a chance that when you give uh, 
a CS1 specific uh, CAR T cell that you're going to be wiping out these other kinds of cells that may lead to different kinds of immune compromise, uh, although our body continues to make these cells. Um, it also means that uh, there's more chance for toxicity, that there's uh, m more, um, more drive for these cells to continue to proliferate, even uh, as the cancer cells are eliminated. Uh, that has not turned out to be the case with the, uh, the mm -hmm. CAR T cells that are, that are directed uh, against lymphomas and leukemias, that we still can mm -hmm. uh, cure patients e even with, with significant toxicity, but even with the CD19 being expressed on, on cells that are clearly not associated with uh, the cancer. So while this is a concern, uh, both in terms of uh, its uh, its impact on the immune system, but it's uh, uh, but it's uh, uh, also uh, uh, there's a precedent saying that this can be done in in other diseases with targets that are even more widely um, displayed. So. We we will find out as we move forward with these clinical trials. Um, I don't I don't think that uh, uh, it's it's likely to be a huge issue, but we we're, re we're really not uh, uh, yet in a position to to answer that question. Mm hmm. Well, and it seems like elotuzumab might pave the way for some of this, right? So you already know that you can go after this as a target. And 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 not have the patients get particularly ill. Uh, Ilituzumab is a right. very easy drug to use, and uh, and so you're exactly right that we have this precedent out there, uh, and uh, and and I think we should be very excited about both CS1 as a target and the fact that we have an off-the-shelf product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That brings up kind of another benefit because you talked a lot about the benefits earlier in the show um, that this might be a benefit. There might be enough for everyone, right? You don't have to take the time, I guess, to do the individualized manufacturing. So could you produce enough? Does it, it, does it have like a shelf life? I, that's a weird question, but um, like how is this produced and – how can can they produce a lot at once? So maybe when you're running these yeah, they, further along, yes, they trials, can. you can have more patients. Yeah, they 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 uh, they obviously will have to continue to manufacture, and they're going to have a pool of donors that are involved in this uh, in this process. Um, the uh, um, the uh, the actual shelf life, I have no idea what that what that is i mean it's it's prolonged enough that that uh we anticipate having it in stock for 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 right. the, you know for for patients as they come into the trial so uh, i don't anticipate that that's going to be uh, a major concern and you know listen we're we're living in a world where where resources are going to become much more limited and i think the fact that it can be manufactured in bulk and and uh, and be ready for patients as they come on is important clinically, but it's going to be as important um, uh, from a health economics perspective as well. 
Yeah. Well, this is so exciting in my opinion. I just am so happy to hear about this. So let's talk about the actual study because it's going to be open at your center and a few others. This is a phase one study, right? Yeah. So uh, we're, we we don't know precisely what's the, the best dose, what's the dose that is going to be uh, tolerated. We've uh, just gone through this experience with the, the individual patient-manufactured uh, products. So we have a lot of experience. And when I say we, I mean us as an institution, but the myeloma community uh, as, as a whole in doing this kind of study, I don't anticipate that the phase one part of this should take uh, an extraordinary amount of time so i think that uh, mm-hmm. that you know we're we're probably talking about the relatively short term future before we know the dose and and are uh, treating patients in much larger numbers mhm and where and when will it be open well, I think that's uh, partly a bureaucratic question. Uh, I know that uh, that uh, MD Anderson Cancer Center is uh, one of the the, the sites that have uh, have driven the development of this product. Um, we should be open fairly soon too. But but yeah, the first patients will be getting treated this year. And in fact, probably in the next month or two is when the first sites will be opening. Oh, wow. I think it's so exciting. So what type of patient will be eligible to join this particular study? Well, right now, these are patients who have been fairly heavily pretreated and have seen most of the major classes of drugs that are available for treating myeloma. Um, uh, the, what's unique about this trial in terms of the eligibility criteria is that um, it, the patients have to have been treated with elotuzumab or not be eligible to be treated with uh, with elotuzumab for, for some reason. So there, there is this unique requirement in, in this particular trial. Oh, so they can't have had, well, they, they have had to have received it already or yes. they cannot have, or they are not eligible to get it. So well, yeah, and because usually it's the opposite. <laughs> yeah, you you would think so, it, but the. Mind. Yeah, this is this is uh, this is not just uh, the company that is making the eligibility criteria. It's the it's the FDA as well, and uh, um, the uh, the requirement, as it is stated right now, is that the patients have to have received elotuzumab, or the or the clinical team has to feel that uh, that elotuzumab is not a reasonable alternative. So interesting. Do they have to have had a monoclonal antibody like daratumumab before? Yes. Or or that it has to be felt that the patient is not eligible for that as well. But right now, most of these kinds of clinical trials are, are not not just CAR T cells, but uh, a few of the of the uh, developing platforms like uh, BITES, you know, the bifunctional antibodies, the Mm -hmm. antibody drug conjugates, all of these technologies in in the 
their early drug development are mostly being targeted for patients that don't have really obvious alternatives. So they don't want uh, right. patients who who haven't seen uh, the most effective drugs to to jump to this when we really don't know uh, both the, the efficacy or the toxicity that is associated with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. Can you, if you have failed a prior CAR T therapy, like let's say BCMA, can you be on this study? Uh, you know what? I don't know the answer to know. that question. Yeah, I, I'll look it up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I'll put it the, in the answer to that may be, may be yes, but uh, but uh, I don't actually know that. Well, I'll look it up just because I have some friends who are, have gone through that experience and are looking for things, so I'm thinking about them at the same time. Um, so, of yeah. course, this is like you're escalating the dose and you're trying to see how safe it is and things like that, so you don't have a lot of data already. But do you have any insights or thoughts about any potential side effects that you might see? I know the cytokine release syndrome can happen in the BCMA trials, but not so much in myeloma, so... Do you have any thoughts around that, or you're just going no, to no? I I think I think that right now we we have an expectation that there will be um, cytokine release mm-hmm. syndrome that as these cells uh, grow and 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 become angry, uh, the the cytokine release is part of that process, so it can't be avoided entirely. Although I think these off-the-shelf platforms perhaps can be engineered so that the 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 production of these kinds of cytokines is specifically removed from these cells, but uh, I think that's mostly stuff that is going to happen down the the road. Mhm. And is it just a one-time administration, or do you get boosters over time, or how does how does that work? So well, most of these trials, the the patient gets uh, gets uh, treated. Uh, the option of of retreating the patients in the future um, is, I, I think, uh, an, uh, still an open question. I think it is very much dependent on the kind of activity that we see as we we begin these phase one trials. There's always the, the, the there's always the possibility of amendments being introduced to to more clearly delineate that. But I, I think the 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 question about getting boosters in the in the future is very much getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, we mm. we really need to see whether this works in the first place before we start uh, yeah. talking yeah. about uh, how important boosters down the road will be. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I I would be and, very excited uh, about. It. <laughs> Yeah, that would be great if it helped, you know, like, sustain remission or something. So yes. in this study, how will patients be watched after their like, – because I know there's, like, in the BCMA um, CAR-T experience, it's like you're kind of watched very closely for the first couple of weeks, and then, um, you know, you you come back. And um, how does that work for this study? How long are patients watched, and how long do they need to stick around a study site those types of things. So, in in the in the in any phase one trial, not not just the CAR T phase one trial, the the monitoring has to be 
uh, has to be very, very careful. And uh, yeah. I, I certainly think the the prior experiences with CAR T cells sort of substantiates uh, the, the need for that. So the the monitoring is is very intense for the for the first uh, month that these patients are treated. Um, uh, the patients need to be local to the institutions that are treating them. Whether this will change as the trials uh, expand into into phase two type uh, uh, clinical trials isn't clear. I mean, certainly the experience with the BCMA trials was surprisingly. Uh, uh, I don't want to say non-toxic because there there certainly were consequences, but uh, I think that uh, how that is going to be managed in the future is very much dependent on the the experience in the phase one uh, setting. Yeah, it's just so fascinating to me. Is this going to be considered like an inpatient um, administration of this, or is does the patient stay in the hospital? So they do this outpatient, they just stay locally, or and you watch them there? How does that work? So I, I think that a lot of the CAR T-cell programs have managed to make facilities that sort of circumvent some of, of this by, by having sort of combined inpatient and outpatient uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, facilities. But uh, I think the, the initial plan is to do this uh, as an inpatient. Mm, yeah, well, it makes sense for a phase one study, I think. And I think this, um, you mentioned this a little bit, but I think this um, is important also, just clinical trial participation. You men- mentioned how carefully patients are watched. And I think it's worth stressing that patients who join clinical trials and participate in clinical trials are very carefully watched. And sometimes they get just um I don't want to say better care because I think all the care myeloma patients are getting is good, but um, they're so carefully watched that a lot of them have really great outcomes because they're participating in clinical trials and because they're watched so carefully. Well, I think there have been many studies, and this is not just uh, in relationship to myeloma or even in oncology, but the the outcomes for patients with with the, the whole spectrum of medical issues is generally better in the kinds of institutions that do clinical trials. So large academic institutions are sometimes very cumbersome. You know the 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 uh, the inconvenience of of those kinds of uh, settings can sometimes be real, but the reality of it is is that. The, the disease specialized care the 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 infrastructures that are uh, available generally mean that the patients are going to to ultimately get be- better care so uh, it would be great to develop products like this that are safe to administer out in the community because unfortunately there are many many patients who live in areas where where uh, it's it's far to to get to these kinds of mm-hmm. Specialized institutions, right. but uh, but but yeah, the big academic medical centers um, have uh, have many uh, advantages, both in terms of monitoring and in terms of the kind of resources that can get applied to a specific disease. Um, and so that idea that 
well, I don't want to be experimented on, which is, I think, all of our instinct. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes isn't in the in the patient's best interest. Right. Well, if you wait till a clinical trial is your last potential option, you might not even qualify just because of your your physical status or the way your disease is behaving or, you know, lots of different reasons. So yeah. I and, encourage and patients all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, the way clinical trials are put together, and this is for good reasons, is that once you get to be too sick, um, you're not eligible mm-hmm. for clinical trials anymore that uh uh that to to say i'm going to to i don't want to go on a car t cell study it's uh you know it's it's not uh it's not established care and and uh, i'm going to wait until i've tried this therapy this therapy this therapy and this therapy before before i consider those kinds of options may very well mean that those options will not be available to you when you get to that point because you have to have both sort of the performance status the 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 physical well-being to uh to qualify but also sort of the biochemical well-being if your white blood cell count is too low mm-hmm. if your platelet count is too low if your kidneys don't work well enough because of of the 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 stresses and strains of the disease and and uh, and the therapies uh sometimes that opportunity will be lost Mhm right well, I think patients could consider clinical trials really at every stage of disease, and um, especially the earlier, the better. So that's one of the reasons we, we did this with HealthTree and Spark Cures, because it's hard to understand the clinical trials and find one that you can, you know, you are eligible to join. I have one final question before I open it up for caller questions, which I see that we have. Um, you know how you talked earlier about potentially losing the BCMA signature. Is that something that happens with the CS1 too? Do you lose CS1 signature or is it a more durable type signature? Well, um, we're not even sure how important that is with, uh, with BCMA. Uh, I know that there are instances where, where it is lost, but whether that is clinically important, we we don't know. Um, the amount of selective pressure that uh, that th- these kinds of therapies apply is unlike anything else that we do in oncology. So whether the the CS1 can be lost permanently or not is something that is going to have to wait until these kinds of clinical trials are are, are completed. So uh, mm-hmm. um, it's uh, it's certainly a possibility, but I hope it's not a probability. Yeah, right. Well, I'm so personally excited about this because one of the first projects that we funded for with the Myeloma Crowd Research Initiative was um, the German group going after CS1 as a CAR-T product, and they'll be opening their European trial later in the fall. And so it's so exciting to see the CS1 target, especially with this off-the-shelf approach, happening in the United States. I'm just, I can't wait <laughs> to see what happens. Oh, well, I'm so I think thrilled we all that can't uh, wait. people like you are bringing it to us. I think we're, we we all can't wait. I mean, us who uh, care for the patients, but 
I think uh, even more so the patients themselves. Yeah. Well, I'm just um, thrilled at what you're doing. I'd like to open it up for caller questions for a few minutes. So if you have a question for Dr. Siegel, you can call 347-637-2631 and press 1 on your keypad. And we'll start with caller at 691-6999. Go ahead with your question. Hi, Jenny. That's me, Jack Aiello. And Dr. Siegel, it's always great to hear from you. I'm good. It's Um, it's been a while. How are you? I see you once a year at Ash, at least. Yeah, that's Um, right. I had to tune in about 10 minutes late. My question with respect to allocartes is, did you discuss graft-versus-host disease? Are you expecting it? Is it controlled by immunosuppressants and things like that? And if you did this already, I can read the transcript. No, we, we, we didn't discuss that at all. I think that, uh, you know, there is a small possibility that, that cells can be not just alloreactive, but reactive to, to other uh, p- potential targets in the patient that might drive their proliferation. So uh, r- right now, I, I don't think that just from my insights into to how uh, – we evolved that a random donor is not likely to have large numbers of alloreactive cells, and obviously the the donors are being very carefully selected in terms of having been exposed to allogeneic cells. So, you know, where could people be exposed to, to allogeneic cells in pregnancy, having had transfusions and things like that? So I think the the manufacturers are going to be very aware of those kinds of considerations. So I think it's very unlikely that 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 should be a significant problem. So you're not expecting to see graft-versus-host disease? Caused by these kinds of cells? No. Caused by these kinds of Okay. Thanks. Good. Thank you. Great. Great question, Jack. Thank you. Okay. Um, second caller, 491-3434. Go ahead with your question. Oh, thanks very much, Dr. Siegel. Um, I just had a quick question on, uh, since this is an allergenic product, um, is there an assumption uh, built in that uh, the T cells are going to be the same coming from all these different donors? Um, it, how do you account for potential variability or, uh, or, or such? I think that the, that is one of the potential issues. I think that the, there are... Uh, Ways to test the, the to test the product before it is administered to to have some kind of normalization, um, but but in the end you, you're right there is going to be some inherent variability in any kind of biological product like this. Okay, thank you. Okay, great. Good question. Um, okay, caller nine eight three six seven five seven. Yeah, go ahead with your question. Hi, Dr. Siegel. Hi, Jenny. It's Dana uh, Dana Holmes. Thanks so much for taking the call. Dr. Siegel, would non-secretory patients be eligible for this trial, or do they have to have measurable disease? (laughs) You're you're asking the question that I always ask. Wow. Um, So... so the the answer is that... um, uh, 
you know, uh, obviously, uh, Slexus is doing this for the good of the patients, but also mm-hmm. uh, be, because they want to have a, a product that will get approved by the FDA. And the FDA um, is still very much enthralled with the sort of biochemical markers of disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the the options are much, much more limited for, for patients that have truly non-secretory disease. Okay. And what about uh, patients who may have had an allogeneic stem cell transplant? Would they be eligible yeah. for a trial like this? I think right now the answer to that is no. Uh, there okay. are CAR T-cell programs out there already that right. that allow uh, that allow uh, um, uh, allogeneic uh, patients to participate. But mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I don't specifically remember, but my but but my guess would be I would remember if uh, if allogeneic uh, patients were allowed because we have so many post-allogeneic patients in our system. Yeah. And and what about if a patient failed elotuzumab? Does that have any bearing on whether or not they would be eligible for this trial? No. Okay. Could you explain why? Because if they failed that, um, because ELO targets the same surface yeah, protein, so the, right? But it, it's the 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 way that these molecules work is much different than a, a monoclonal. The way that this product works is much different than the way a monoclonal antibody works. So a monoclonal antibody, you know, binds to that target very specifically. It mediates an interaction between certain kinds of cells in our body mm-hmm. that that can that can kill antibody-coated things. It activates the complement system. It does all kinds of things that are very very dissimilar to to the way an activated T cell kills, and oh, and, okay. uh, and an activated T cell basically lies on the target, um, mm-hmm. and 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 punches holes in it. Uh, it is it is not working through the the CS1 or the the SLAM F7. It is being approximated and activated by that interaction, but but ultimately the the cell is killing via uh, via pathways that are independent of what introduced them to the cell. Okay, and I I, think I don't know did... if I'm making myself clear. Yeah. No, I do. I understand what you're saying. I I do, and I appreciate that that um, clarity. Appreciate that very much. Now, you did say I think earlier that you were not sure if BCMA prior CAR-T patients who have now since failed that would be eligible for this type. Is that because... Yeah. Do they not... No, it's just because I, because I didn't know, and I didn't, I wasn't smart enough to sit down oh, and read okay. all the eligibility so, criteria. They, they, okay. So they, no, they might... The, the door that. hasn't been closed for that. Okay. All righty. Yeah. So we'll find that out. All right. Well, Dr. Siegel, thanks so much for your time, and thanks for everything that you do for patients. We're all rooting for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm rooting for you guys. I know you are. Thanks so much, sir. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Oh, thank you. Okay. Thanks, Dana, for your questions. Dr. Siegel, I think you can feel the enthusiasm from patients, and I'm sure you have lots of patients who are really so excited to see how this all turns out. I just want to thank you for your extraordinary work for my Loma patients on your behalf, um, for the research that you do, for the patients that you treat, 
and to move these things forward. Well, thank you, because uh, um, it's, it's folks like you who talk to the to the patients sort of independently from us and uh, don't have an axe to grind, so to speak. And, and I think that uh, <laughs> a few wise words from people such as yourself goes a long way in, in helping the myeloma community. And, and you guys are as important as any in, in this whole process. Well, I think if patients realize how much power they do have in terms of um, joining the studies and helping advance research faster, we could just come to conclusions for you so much faster. Um, so that's why we always suggest that people consider these things. Yep. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, thank you again for joining us, and we're just so appreciative for you today. And um, we'd like to also thank our callers and the questions, and they were just excellent. So thank you for listening to another episode of Myeloma Crowd Radio. And we'd like to invite you to join us for future shows to learn more about the latest in myeloma research and what it means for you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.